0: Our episodes contain graphic information that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Would you like some murder with your
1: coffee? Welcome to Morning Murders. I'm Nicole.
0: I'm Amanda.
2: And I'm Brenna! Yeah, was oh, I'm so glad you came back. Thank Please. you. It was, it, was a, it was a long fall because we are just three girls who like to sit around, <laughs> drink coffee, and talk about true crime. True crime. crime. Mm-hmm. We do like to talk about true crime. Yeah, we like to Even talk about true terrible. crime. Even though it's terrible. And our beans. And our beans. We and like to beans. talk about our beans. We love our beans. We love our beans. Uh, y'all, y'all, babies. y'all rock. Y'all rock pretty hardcore. Yeah. Friggin', we're back. For another week of madness. Here we are. Mayhem. Mayhem and madness on a Monday. From on a Monday. Morning murders. Morning murders. Morning murders. murders, Mondays. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, shall we? Shall we yeah. just get to this this dang thing? Ladies and beans. Yeah. I've always been a bit paranoid. I don't know about you guys, but like my stationary bike. It's by my window. And I always make sure that my window is closed when I'm on it, because I'm just nervous that someone's gonna see me. Um do you guys ever do any do you have anything like that like a window open kind of creeps you out and you have to close it or
2: I definitely like to make sure that if I'm like I'll I like to keep blinds closed mm. because uh or at least like it, if I have a window open I don't like people to be able to look in a window and see something that they'd want to then like grab you know ah, yeah. so that's that's something I'm more I guess concerned about is people being like oh, cool, I want that, and, like, breaking into the house and taking it. But, yeah, like, windows are closed. You don't know what's in there or how to get that's in there. It's true. So. In
1: Japan, a lot of people put big things in front of their windows so you can't actually see inside. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I used to always, like, live in a cave and keep I was like, I like it dark. No, I like it private. Mm-hmm. Now I don't have neighbors. We don't really even have, like, window coverings yeah, because I don't have neighbors. So that's I don't fair. know anymore. But even so, I'll be like, Every once in a while, I'm like, uh, in the darkness though, there could be anyone out there. That's true. And you're welcome for all the things you saw at my house. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh,
1: well, hey, 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 hey. Well, beans, I don't know about you, but that's how we feel. So after hearing this story, if you don't feel that way, you might. Have you ever heard of Russell
0: Williams? <laughs> Yes, this name is familiar. Oh, God. All right, here we go. Okay. Russell Williams.
2: Russell Williams. Nope, never heard of it.
1: Well, former Colonel Russell Williams, to be formal, was 46 years old when everything went down. This suggestion comes from our bean, John. So thank you for listening and enjoying your coffee with us, John. This story is truly terrible, and you can all thank John later for the nightmares. Oh,
0: thanks for the
1: nightmares. Before I even get into this, though, I want to tell you all that um, this story does deal with violence and rape against women and if today is a day that you want to skip this episode we as always completely understand and support you and your mental health enjoy your coffee maybe skip to the end and enjoy them bloopers whatever you want and just join us again next time so ladies and beans grab a fresh cup of delicious coffee and let's get into this terrible tale David Russell Williams was born on March 7, 1963, in Broomsgrove, England, I think I said that right. His parents were Cedric David Williams and Christine Nani Williams. His father worked as a
0: metallurgist. Yeah, that's what my dad is. Oh. My dad's a metallurgist.
1: Oh, well then you know it I had to look it up because I didn't know what it was. Oh. But you know what it is. I know
0: what it is. My dad has his own company. That's really
1: fun. Up. Well, they said so what I looked up, you can hey. tell me if this is wrong. Yeah. Uh, research, develop, control, and provide um, advice on processes used in extracting metals from their ores. And uh, processes used for casting, um, heat treating, we wi- wi- uh, wielding, welding, wielding,
0: wielding, <laughs> uh,
1: or welding refined metals, um, things like that. Does that sound about right? Yeah,
0: I mean, he did he did some cool stuff where it would be like, um, oh, like General Motors would work f- with him a lot and be like, hey, we have this part that keeps breaking. Like, can you Ooh. test the metal and find out, like, where are the weak points, what's happening, what's going on, or, like... He did a lot of really cool. He did a lot of actually uh, interesting cases. Like he did one. Sorry to go uh, a little off track. That's okay. But it was it's true crime related. Um, <laughs> he had to sit on the stand and have they had to kind of figure out this guy had taken his car and driven it into a tree. And the question was, did the car malfunction or did he commit suicide? Mm. And my dad unfortunately proved through science that the car did not malfunction. Aww. So stuff like that or like lawsuits, like people fall off ladders. Did the ladder malfunction? Did was the metal faulty? Mm. My dad would do a bunch of testing to find out, like you know, mm. yes or no. Wow, so that was kind of cool. That's
1: really cool. Yeah. Oh, how fun! Yeah. That's a job. So yes. that's what David Russell Williams' dad did. Great. So his father, <laughs> his father got hired at Chalk River Laboratories in Ontario, Canada. Ontario, Canada. Um, it is Canada's premier nuclear research laboratory. So the family moved from England to Canada. Once they arrived, they quickly became friends with another family, the, oh, I wrote it out, sof- Sofkas, 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 right? Mm-hmm. The Sofkas, I like wrote it out too, and I'm like, you're still going to mess it up. Uh, I didn't write that part out, that I was still going to mess it up.
2: Good. But I knew that no, I was going to. No, you didn't.
1: Sofkas. The Sofkas. They all spent a lot of time together. And when uh, Cedric and Christine divorced, uh, when Russell was six years old, his mother actually married Dr. Jerry Sofka. (laughs) Russell did end up taking his um, stepfather's last name. The new family then moved to Scarsboro, Ontario. Um, That is where Russell started high school at Toronto's Birchmont Collegiate and finished (laughs) at Toronto's Upper Canada College. He had a pretty typical childhood. Uh, He delivered a newspaper for a while, learned piano. His parents uh, were then sent to South Korea and in his final two years of school. That's why he ended up going to Upper Canada College. Um, He was a boarding student there. In his last year in 1982, he was elected as one of the perfects for his boarding house which basically means he was authorized to enforce discipline and reported to his house steward, Andrew Saxton, who uh, later became a conservative member of parliament for North Vancouver.
0: Okay, so it's not like the plastics. No.
1: Okay, not (laughs) Not like the plastics. Not at all. No, just more like, you're doing a bad thing and I can reprimand you. Um, So he went on to attend the University of Toronto, where he graduated with an economics and political science degree in 1987, and then enrolled in the Canadian Forces. Now, he has an incredibly long and impressive military history, most of which, to be super honest, I don't understand, Um, So I'm just going to highlight some of the things. And if you'd like to know more of the super-duper details, uh, like names and things about squadrons and aircrafts, I mentioned some of them, but not all of them, you can check out the links in my resources. Um, Okay. So he earned his wings in 1990. He went on to be a flight instructor for two years. He was promoted to captain during that time in 1991. He met Mary Elizabeth sometime during school and joining the military. She is an assistant director of the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada. They got married on June 1st, 1991. Also, just a fun little tidbit. On his Canadian Defense Department bio, it said he is a keen photographer, fisherman, and runner. And he and his wife are also avid golfers. Oh. <laughs> what a... Okay. Mm, Hobbies. Right. Hobbies. In 1994, he was posted to the 412 transport squadron in ottawa where he transported high-ranking government officials and other major vips in 1999 he was promoted to major and served as a multi-engine pilot career manager he got his master's of defense studies from the royal military college of canada in 2004 he wrote a 55 page thesis that supported preemptive war in iraq In 2004, he was promoted to lieutenant colonel. Later that year, he was appointed commanding officer and held that post in Trenton for two years. 2005, May of 2006, he served as a commander officer of Camp Mirage, which is pretty secretive. It's said to be located somewhere in Dubai, maybe? Um, In 2006 of July, he served as project director of airlift capability project strategic and tactical and fixed wing search and rescue. At that time, he worked under Lieutenant General Angus Watt. And the couple then moved to Orleans, a suburb of Ottawa. When I first read it, I was like, they moved to America? Oh, wait, no, still Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Then, in July 2009, while he was posted to the Canadian Forces Language School in Quebec, he was promoted by recommendation of that same lieutenant general who is now retired. So, people liked him. Mm -hmm. In July 2009, he was sworn in as wing commander at Canadian Forces Base Trenton. This is the busiest Air Force base and major place of support for overseas military operations. The base also functions as part of an arrival for bodies of all the Canadian Forces personnel that are killed in Afghanistan. It's a starting point for funeral processes, along with um, what is known as the Highway of Heroes, which is when their bodies are brought to Toronto for autopsy. During this time, he was described as a shining bright star of the military, an elite pilot, Little did everyone know what darkness had been festering and fighting to break out in full force within him. So, I've listed a bunch of things. Sounds Mm -hmm. like a very impressive dude. But also, let's keep in the back of our minds what that might also mean, being in the military for so long and in such strict and stressful and, you know
2: emotionless states well we can contain multitudes too right like um he can he can flourish really well in an environment Mm -hmm. where you are directed and told what to do you know like there's procedure there's you know someone to report to there's always someone around that'll give you direction like it's kind of that kind of thing so there's some people that can like absolutely flourish in that environment absolutely there's a there's a degree to that i feel like sometimes uh between like There's an interesting connection psychologically with um, people that flourish in military and people that flourish in, like, entertainment and can be given direction. And, Mm. like, they would, like, to. I need a manager to tell me what to do so that I don't have to make all my choices every single day, all the kind of thing, like, Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Or how big celebrities will have handlers. And some people, like, do way better on cruise ships because it's, like, you're being told what to do every single day. And Mm -hmm. that's because – there are people that are built for that, right? And it's right. good for that. So the same with, like, military stuff. There's some people where it totally speaks to them and, like, works, mm-hmm. right? It just it hits all those right things. You get all the right dopamine from it. You're bing, bang, boom. Like, it's kicking ass and taking names. So. It's
1: true. But unfortunately, this story is like some of the other ones we've told, and it is not a happy one.
2: Well, I mean. I Clearly, would, we're it here. Would be crazy, yeah. <laughs> It's a happy story, and everything ended up okay. And
1: that's okay. So Russell's world would completely change on February fourth, two thousand ten. As he drove along Highway thirty-seven, there was a police traffic stop where they were checking the tires of all the cars on the highway. There was a home just off the highway, like literally just off the highway. The entrance was on the highway. You just go up the driveway, it's just how it is. Because like not. Not a highway like we have here. It's like one of the... Rural. Rural ones. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. So Russell stopped. They looked at his tires, and then he drove off. From that moment on, unknown to Russell, the OPP, which is the... Yeah, un- you
0: know me. Sorry. No. I'm so sorry. I could not. It was, <laughs> it's like a... It's a tick. Yeah. I just... Sorry. <laughs> it was
1: beautiful. Sorry. What? The OPP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it. There it is. Just
0: past it. Just past it. <laughs> oh, my God. I hope I wrote it more in
1: this because that's hilarious. Which is the Ontario Provincial Police. They began tracking him. The house that was literally off the freeway was only one week ago surrounded by police. Hmm. Some folks driving by took note and realized that there may be something they need to tell the police. So they had seen an SUV at the home around 3 a.m. when they were driving home. That was why the police set up the traffic stop. There were were tire tracks left on the property that did not belong to the homeowner, who had been missing for a week by the time they started checking the tires. The homeowner was Jessica Lloyd. She was 27 years old and had disappeared on January 28, 2010. She had texted a goodnight message to her brother, Andy, and was never heard from again. She failed to show up to work the next day, and her mother called Andy to see if he had heard anything. He immediately went to her house to check on her but she was nowhere to be found. What was odd was that everything was in the house. Keys, ID, everything. He knew something was absolutely wrong. They began searching for Jessica. Massive search parties, signs, everything. You couldn't look in a direction and not see a sign with Jessica or something about Jessica on it. On February 4th, Russell pulled up to the traffic stop in his SUV instead of his BMW, and the police took note of his tire tread which they could already tell looked like the ones that belonged on the scene. This will be a common theme for Russell, that oh, if he only would have made a different choice, he might have been caught later on. So very glad that he did make the choices he did, because otherwise he would have been caught much later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so he may have had chances to do even more terrible things, but thankfully he gets caught because he didn't drive his BMW that day or paid attention to his shoes. More on that. On February 7, 2010, Russell and his wife were in their newly built home in Ottawa, and he is contacted by the OPP. Yeah,
0: you know me. <laughs>
1: to come down to the station for questions. He says, okay, tells his wife he'll be home for dinner and drives to the station. Ten hours later, the unknowns of this case and more would be answered. Now, I watched a video, which is linked in the resources, about the confession with most of the interrogation video in it. It just edited out some of the incredibly long pauses that Russell takes, but they do make note of it when they're talking about it. Hmm. Um, So he arrives at the station at 3 p.m. He went in and was taken into an interrogation room, room 216. It was small, no photos or decorations of any kind, two chairs, a table, two cameras on different angles of the room. Detective Sergeant Jim Smith, a member of the OPP's...
0: Yeah, you know me. I can't
1: not <laughs> so do sorry. it.
0: Behavi- I hope, yeah, listen, beans, I hope you're doing it with me. <laughs> I know there's at least one bean out there what? that also yells it with me, and I just want you to know that we're connected. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: are spirits together. Uh, Behavioral Science Unit conducted the interview. Before Russell even walked in the door, there was a case created around him. They created a profile on Russell. In the confession video I watched, Mark Mendelson, a retired Toronto homicide investigator, spoke about the preparation that goes on days before actual interrogation. A team gets together, including detectives on the case, forensic psychologists, etc., to figure out who Russell is as a person and how he might respond to questions. If he responds with answer A, they follow that path of questioning. If he responds answer B, then they go down that path, etc. Anything they could possibly come up with based on the profile they create of Russell. Paul Solano, an interrogation expert, spoke about some important aspects of a successful interrogation. It's all about control from the very beginning. Even before they walk through the door, you don't want to put a desk directly between you and the person you're questioning. In the video of Jim and Russell, the table's like against the wall, and so their two chairs are pretty close together. As the interrogator, you want the ability to get close, into the intimate space as the questions go on. You start out further away, but as things get more detailed and specific, you move closer and closer. All of this is exactly what Jim does during the interview, and it's incredible to watch. Jim even makes sure to keep the same vocal pattern and almost this calm understanding tone throughout. He never yells or makes any quick movements, even when he switches to become more serious cop.
2: It's pretty interesting watching, like, the Jim Can't Swirls and all that stuff of interrogations and, like, how some, uh, this, the, the, stuff that everybody goes through for an interrogation. Like, I understand why they wouldn't have anything on the wall, but I think I would put something very... I would put something on a wall, like, frame, like, a picture and put it on the wall. Mm-hmm. That would just be, like... That would make you even more unnerved. Like, like what is that? Um, I would put, like, like a framed photo of, like, like a... You know those dogs, those like white dogs that have like the poofy hair? And I would just it would be a framed photo. There'd be nothing else in the room but it'd be a framed photo of one of those like white dogs with like the not a poodle, but like the small ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That like, like a snowball. Get, they like get a bichon? Uh yeah, I guess like a bichon, but like with the perfect haircut. Like it's perfect. No. And that's like the photo that's on the wall. There's nothing else in the room. because like, I feel like over your shoulder while you're being very yes. serious
0: with them and yeah.
2: <laughs> just so that they get to look at it and that way they're like so they don't know why. Like, why there's nothing else that? in this room. Because like, it's no one's I personal I can tell office.
0: what <laughs> kind of person you are when you look <laughs> you at this, this dog. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> look at this dog. Look at it. What does it make it's you really feel? It's really more that I'd bring me. in my dog and be like, "Indy, what, do you what think? about this guy? What about yeah, this guy? Do you, guy you like guided. this guy? Then I like this guy. All right, guy. then that's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I my dog my dog doesn't like
1: you. Well, Paul will be very upset with your interrogation that's
0: that's Indy's never wrong. Well, okay.
1: So, in the beginning,
0: the question started out broad,
1: and there was a sense of you are here just to help us out. You know, that's what he was given, Russell. Jim does a great job at just being the grateful cop. We appreciate you coming in, all that kind of stuff. He reminds Russell of his rights, that he's not under arrest, that he can leave at any time, that this is being recorded, all that jazz. Um, After they talk for a moment, Jim then reminds him of these things again. He asks Russell if there's ever been a time that he'd been in police interrogation room before, and Russell says no, but he's got top-level clearance on a base. Which meant nothing, Mm -hmm. and the cop just let it go. Um, So Jim also talks about how he treats everyone with respect and expects that from others. That's something that comes back around later. While Jim is explaining his rights and everything again, he even tells Russell that if at any time during questioning something comes up, and Russell would like a lawyer to just let him know, Russell kind of laughed and said, okay, even makes a joke about how the only lawyer he needs is for real estate transactions. Throughout their time together, Jim never calls Russell colonel. It is an intentional move. If he would have used that title, it would give him power to Russell. By not using it, it almost knocks him down a peg without him even realizing it. So Jim begins by talking about Jessica and how it's an open investigation and they are just going down every avenue they need to get some answers. No body has been found as of yet and they are moving forward like she's still alive. And Russell is there because it is in the area of his lakefront cottage in Tweed. Along with Jessica, there are three other cases tied to the same area. Mm. Ladies and beans, take a sip of your coffee and settle in because here come the murders. So in 2007, there was a string of break-ins in Russell's neighborhood, on his street even, all of which had reports of stolen women's lingerie and two sexual attacks. Russell acknowledged that by saying things like, we helped the investigation in any way we could at the time. We thought things were strange. Using we because of him and his wife trying to be like, I have a wife. Remember, I'm a normal person. Mm -hmm. Um, And Russell agreed that he was linked in that sense, that it was also his neighborhood and near his home. Jim is a skilled interrogator. He is an expert in profiling and forensic psychology. His question pattern was planned out. He started broad and then got more specific like we talked about, developing a rapport and relationship with Russell all the while. He moved from Jessica to another case, Corporal Marie-France Como. She was a flight attendant in the Air Force under the command of Russell. She had traveled the world before she was brutally raped and murdered in her home. Jim asked Russell if he knew her. He said, no, not really. Only met her once. And he found out about her death from a work email. Jim says that Russell seems like a very intelligent person, a phrase he will use several times during the encounter. He then asks Russell a very important question. What would you be willing to give me today to help me move past you in this investigation? I just thought that that was the best way to phrase that question. Mm-hmm. It's I've never heard that before, and I just thought it was so smart.
2: What's your alibi without asking what's your alibi? Yeah. <laughs> like, what information, what can you give me yeah. to make it so that I can move on from you? <laughs> That's yeah. great, yeah.
1: And Russell says, what do you need? And then Jim goes, would you be willing to supply fingerprints, blood samples, nice. things like that? And Russell goes, sure, yeah. And then Jim goes, shoe impressions. At this point, you can see Russell glance at his shoes, which is a pair of boots. Even after agreeing to all that, he still thinks he's okay. He's got this. Jim has said nothing to make Russell think that he's going to jail. But Russell does ask Jim if they're going to be discreet about all of this. Because once a rumor starts at the base about him being involved, it would be difficult to undo well, that's why we're here on a Sunday afternoon, Jim says. Which is actually totally complete bullshit. It's just an improvised answer. He's just being quick on his toes. Like, duh, yeah, that's why we're here on a Sunday.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, So Russell gives them everything they needed. And it was truly, truly everything they needed. Jim comes back later with shoe impressions they got from the scene and shows them to Russell. He then shows Russell his shoe print. An exact match. He then tells him that the SUV tire tracks are also... An exact match. Prior to this moment, Russell had told them that he was never there. He didn't know Jessica. His prince couldn't be there. All that crap. Right. Once all of this is laid out for Russell to see, he goes silent. Jim brings back the talk about respect and tells Russell that there needs to be some honesty. About three hours into the interview now, Jim says, what are we going to do, Russell? After a long pause, Russell simply says, call me Russ. <laughs> then Jim goes, what are we going to do, Russ? Yeah. <laughs> Cool. So Russ takes Say night, crazy Russ takes the photos and looks at them He's just buying time He has nothing to say He's just trying to rack his brain on what he can do next So Jim just sits there Letting the silence get more And more uncomfortable Finally he says There is only one option Russ asks what that is And Jim goes, well, I don't think you want to be The cold-blooded psychopath Jim makes a comment about how he has known others in the past that love getting that title, even referring to Paul Bernardo, a serial killer Jim helped put away years prior. He told Russell he didn't think he was like that, but he could be wrong. Either way, it was over for Russell, and it could have a bad ending where Jessica's parents still wonder where her body is, or a better ending. Jim was doing everything he could to get a confession from Russell and the location of Jessica. After so many pauses and sighs, Russell says, It's hard to believe this is happening. Russell then slowly starts to talk about his worry for his wife, how he's worried the police are tearing up his wife's new house. Jim starts to mirror Russell at this point, which is another interrogation tactic. So I think mirroring is fascinating. It's when you start mimicking the body language of another person to help them feel more comfortable and it makes them open up more. So as long as it's not like exaggerated or, you know, not natural and you're just kind of naturally doing it, people usually start to feel more comfortable and relax. So by 7.45 p.m., four hours later, he says, get a map. Russell goes on and gives them details to where Jessica's body is. She had been in this location for a week. He also goes on to give them locations of other items, digital memory cards he had erased but knew they'd be able to recover what was on them, video recordings, underwear he'd stolen. Between Jessica and Marie France alone, he stole 60 pieces of underwear for trophies. Mm He told them all of this to help his wife's life be easier after all this came out. On February 8, 2010, just 40 feet off the road at the intersection of Carrie and East Hungerford, they found Jessica's body, exactly where he said she would be, 13 minutes from his home. Mm. He had wrapped her in some gray covering and just dumped her body. He didn't even bother burying her. Just really sad. Um, ten days before she went missing, Russell had seen her when he was driving past her house on Highway 37. He saw her through her window, working out on her treadmill.
0: Oh. Mm-hmm. I see where you were getting that. uh uh-huh.
1: He went on to learn her schedule, knew she wouldn't be home Thursday, broke in to look around. Uh, once she was home, he came back and broke in again through her back door while she slept. He woke her up, assaulted and raped her, then took her to his lakefront cottage in Tweed. He kept her there for about 24 hours. He tortured her continuously the entire day, took photos and video of all of it. He told her that if she did what he asked, he would let her live. So she did it. Aww. She didn't put up much of a fight because she she truly believed he was going to let her go. Um, They went out for a walk, and she thought that's when they were leaving, to take her back to her house, and he hit her in the back of the head with a flashlight. He claims he didn't mean to hit her as hard as he did, but he crushed her skull, and she went unconscious immediately. He strangled her with a rope and left her in his garage at the cottage while he drove to Trenton to spend the weekend with his wife. Yeesh. He returned, taped her mouth and nose, and took her body to the spot where she would be found a week or so later. Corporal Marie France is a similar story. She lived in uh, Brighton, and she was really in the wrong direction of Russell's cottage, but it didn't stop him. He had visited her home and looked around and came back while she slept. Marie France was uh, under his command. She had unfortunately just caught his eye. She didn't do anything. Uh, The two didn't even know each other very well. All it took was this one little interaction for him to become transfixed. He broke in through her basement window. She spotted him, and he subdued her with that same flashlight that he later struck Jessica with. He tied up Marie France and took her upstairs. He raped her and photographed her, and in the morning, he strangled her to death. Why? Because even though he was masked, and there was no way for her to actually identify him, he just thought it would be better if he killed her anyway. But the icing on the disgusting, monstrous cake? He fucking video-recorded her last breath. Interesting. Yeah. Why? Why? I don't know. So he can
0: relive it over and
1: over again? Yeah. He wants to see it. The other two cases that they had tied to Russell were two sexual assault cases. One was only doors down from him. She recalled being woken up by an intruder, blindfolded, tied up, choked, her clothes cut off, beaten, photographed, and sexually assaulted for two hours. He explains it as he broke in, tried to subdue her with a flashlight. It didn't work, so he used his weight, tied her up and took photos and left. Jim then tries to find out why. He asks Russell if he had ever thought of why. Russell said that he had but had no answer and he believes in the end it doesn't matter anyway. He had no feeling for any of these women. They were just strangers. He killed Jessica because her story would sound too much like the sexual assaults. They would all get tied together because they were all photographed and Marie France was because of the military connection. In the end, if he hadn't been caught or stopped, he never would have stopped on his own. He would only have gotten worse. He started out with just these break-ins and stealing underwear, and then assaults without anything sexual, then sexual assaults and rape, and then two murders. He only would have viciously attacked more and more women if he hadn't gotten caught. The confession interrogation was incredible. The chief of police said that it was a smart man being outsmarted by a smarter man. Dr. Duncan Scott, a forensic and correctional psychiatrist, spoke on the way Russell described things. So Russell showed no emotion when he gave horrific details, and Dr. Scott says it has a lot to do with his learned behavior. He was literally trained to be able to do that with regards to the people he lost under his command. No emotion, just facts. In the end, Russell pleads guilty to all charges. What were all the charges, you might be asking? Well, on October 21st, 2010, he was sentenced to two life terms in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years for the first degree murder of Corporal Marie France and Jessica Lloyd. Ten years for each of his two charges of sexual assault and two charges of forcible confinement. And one year for each of his 82 lesser charges, the breaking and entering. Mm-hmm. That's a total of 88 charges that he pleads guilty to. His sentencing also included that he be prohibited for life for possessing weapons, that he be registered for life as a sex offender, that he submit DNA samples to the police databank, that he pay a $100 victim surcharge for each charge, totaling at $8,800. He is held at a maximum security prison where dangerous offenders could spend up to 23 hours in small, isolated rooms. During trial, it was requested by the Crown lawyer, Lee Burgess, that some of the items used as evidence be destroyed, including the digital camera, ropes, stolen lingerie, as well as his Nissan Pathfinder he used to abduct and dump Lloyd's body. The request was granted. Thousands of photographs and videos documenting the crimes Russell committed were saved to be used as possible review by a future parole board. On October twenty second, two 2010, he was stripped of his commission, ranks, and awards by the Governor General of Canada on the recommendation of the Chief of the Defense Staff. Severance pay was terminated, and any salary he received after his arrest was seized. He's still able to get his pension, though. Um, they even burned his uniform, destroyed his medals, and crushed his Nissan Pathfinder. <sighs>
2: Sorry, that's just Uh insult to injury.
1: And we're going to crush your car. And we're going to crush your car. That's funny. He said this to the judge at his trial. Your Honor, I stand before you indescribably ashamed. I know the crimes I have committed have traumatized many people. The family and friends of Marie France and Jessica Lloyd in particular have suffered and continue to suffer profound, desperate pain and sorrow as a result of what I've done. My assaults of Mrs... The name has been redacted um, because of publication ban. And Mrs. Massacott have caused them to suffer terribly as well. Numerous victims of the break and enters I have committed have been very seriously distressed as a result of my having so invaded their most intimate privacy. My family, your honor, has been irreparably damaged. Understandable hatred that was expressed yesterday and that has been palpable throughout the week has me recognize that most will find it impossible to accept but the fact is I deeply regret what I have done and the harm I know I have caused to many I committed despicable crimes your honor and in the process betrayed my family my friends and colleagues and the Canadian force and that my ladies and beans is the terrible story of David Russell Williams who is still alive and in prison any final sips (laughs)
0: I just wanted to be said that I am not down with OPP. Um, <laughs> listen to this. Okay. Oh my god! I almost spit out my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. Um, twist of well, the century. Well, <laughs> because I, I had a minute where I was really I I googled to be like, right? It's OPP. Like my brain didn't just like make this up. No, it is OPP. But the first thing it says is, um, this song is about cheating. If you're down with OPP, it means you're willing to cheat on your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, Not exactly family values, but it's presented in a fun and clever way that never spells out exactly what the song means. Oh, no. Which I learned today, and I am not down with opp. In the moment learning.
2: You don't, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but if you're in,
0: but but if you're not, and you're in a monogamous relationship, I'm not down with opp. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm down with you, right? Consent and communication.
2: Just
1: be yes. open. consent yeah. and communication. That's uh, my final sip.
0: I like it. That's good.
1: My final sip is this we talk about this a lot. We need to protect women of all kinds, and we as women need to also protect ourselves. Do things to help yourself, like no escape routes, no moves to get out of situations, check locks, take a self defense class. It's not crazy to do these things. We are sometimes led to believe that in doing that, we are paranoid or being silly. No. You're being safe. This is unfortunately the world we live in, and with the way that things are going in some states, it's getting worse for all of us that identify as female. There is nothing wrong with putting your safety first. I mean, hell, it's that thing they tell you on the airplane, right? Like, put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. We've also talked about how victims and survivors went out of their way to get DNA on things, um, whether it be under nails or biting, whatever. I mean, it's terrifying to think about all these things, but it's better to have it in the back of your head just in case something happens, right? Something unspeakable and terrible. You deserve to feel safe and empowered to take control of your own safety.
2: Oh, that was really lovely. Oh, thanks. Um, I'm going to go from the other side of it and talk about intrusive thoughts. Great. So this is called the resources to recover.org, dot r.org. Five rays to free your mind from intrusive thoughts. This is um, those thoughts when you're driving on the highway and you see a woman running on a treadmill and you go, I want to murder and rape that woman. Mm. An intrusive thought, which can start from a nugget of anything, right? Like it's just a terrible thought that you have and you go, whoa, that is wild. <laughs> uh, you know, your are came out of nowhere, right? And some people act on those things right, yeah, and yeah. do terrible things and make terrible choices. And some people go, no, I won't drive into oncoming traffic because that's going to be a hospital bill I can't defy you know you think of all the repercussions of those things you could hurt somebody Mm -hmm. so according to rtor.org while it's completely normal to experience intrusive thoughts from time to time the underlying problem with them occurs when we continue to obsess and worry about them Mm -hmm. so it comes as no surprise that intrusive thoughts are associated with obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorders so intrusive thoughts can come in a variety of forms Uh, common themes include committing violence to harm oneself or others engaging in sexually inappropriate behaviors blasphemy or performing acts against one, one's religion is one of those things. I think mm. this is also a website that does uh, religious, like focused. You know how like twelve-step oh, programs sure, sure, do that sure, too. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's why they bring that up too. But they also have actual real help on this as well. And fear-based thoughts. Um, so five ways that you can react or help your intrusive thoughts is a don't suppress it mm-hmm. because that's when it starts getting grouped with ga- guilt and shame like and festers. then it festers yeah. and it sits there. Um, so they say, like, an experiment by Daniel Wagner, who is a psychology professor at Harvard University, demonstrated this concept. He asked participants in the study to not think about white bears for five minutes, and guess what happened? Oh my God. I it. just thought about a white bear. See? Uh, <laughs> two, recognize the difference between thought and reality. Mm. That's super helpful. Uh, intrusive thoughts are just what they suggest. They're just thoughts. Mm. Like, I'm going to drive into oncoming traffic, and then you let it go, and you didn't, and you're home like it's, mm-hmm. you moved on it's fine mm-hmm. uh identify your triggers um uh, often your thoughts are not entirely random and your day-to-day interactions may influence them keeping a journal of your intrusive thoughts can help you understand when they come up so that's a good idea to be like oh this doing this thing makes me think about doing this thing every day maybe i'm gonna work on that and get to the core of that and figure out why
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um and then uh for implement a positive change into your daily routine that's you know, working out yoga, meditation, um, talking to somebody about your thoughts, your stuff, because when you speak about it, you're forcing it into cognition in your brain. It's a little brain hack. Um, it's kind of like when you type out an email and then you read it out loud and you go, oh, it's wrong. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's <laughs> like the thought version of that. And then just like they said, number five, talk it out and don't reel out therapy. So, um, those are just like intrusive thoughts happen. You can have those dirty, terrible, awful, I'm gonna go like I'm married and I'm gonna go have sex with that guy over there. Like you can just have those thoughts, you know, or like I'm there's I'm driving and someone's walking across the street, like what if I hit them? Like you can have those thoughts, but then you just go, uh ha, stupid and then move on. Like you Don't call
1: yourself stupid.
2: Yeah. The thought, uh the action of okay. hitting somebody with your car is pretty stupid. Okay. On purpose. Would you agree? Well, yeah, yeah. So Don't that's call yourself what's stupid. stupid. Yeah, mm-hmm. the hitting somebody with a car, like that's a dumb action. I'm not going to do that. It's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because we all know them. We all know right from wrong at this point. Yeah. So
1: and you're not dumb or stupid for having those thoughts. Everybody does. It's no, like a exactly. super normal thing that nobody talks about.
2: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
0: i over here like I have a I have like a lot of them. Yeah, like, that a lot. My... Of th- okay, yeah, I was like, you yes. literally. <laughs> I think literally. I think everyone I does. Shit like why that do you think there's the a,
2: Why do you think there's a warning label on vacuums to not put your dick in it? Like, mm, yeah. literally. I mean, I not like, think about putting my dick in stuff. What I'm saying but <laughs> is, like, people have intrusive thoughts like yeah. every hour of every day. Like, everyone. I can't have someone go in front of my car without thinking about. Hitting them. Yep, it's a, it's (laughs) like the literally the most normal thing. Like you're such a human being. And that's the point. You don't, you don't.
1: Yeah, being human. Cool, great, cool. Yeah, involves having these thoughts. It's the, it's the act of not acting versus acting that like separates people. You know,
2: our our uh, in previous lives we had to kill each other and eat each other to survive. So like, yeah, <laughs> like, yes. that's always my favorite thing is when people blame like violence on like video games. I'm like, war's been happening for a really right. long time. Or, you know, real life. Like <laughs> we've been where killing we get, people. Yeah. Where right.
0: did we get the stories for yeah. the video games? Exactly. So, so what came like? First? Half of them
2: are based off of actual wars. Mm-hmm. Things that happen, Yeah. So. So, yeah, like, don't, don't, uh, the moment that you go, like, my intrusive thoughts are worse than everyone else's is the moment that you start giving them power. Like, mm-hmm. no, man. Tell your, like, you're sometimes you're worse. You have to act on them. Dude, and yeah. they're not yeah. thoughts anymore. Don't ask, so. just don't act. like, yeah, you can, you cannot act on them. You can't, yeah. that's an option. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and, like, with Russell, he tells Jim that he, like, had thought about the whys and, like, realized that he didn't understand why, and instead of, like, talking about it seeking help he just kind of kept going and like that's the difference you know it's it's okay to have these thoughts and things it's just a matter of what's the action you take you take the step to get help
2: yeah Yeah. and I think that that is that ends up being the root of a lot of cases that we hear about Mm. where there's stalking involved or like preying on women in their apartments and all that kind of stuff like same with like um who's that goofball that we did in October Ted Bundy yeah (laughs) Ted Bundy um uh, so he like he's just it's a, he was obsessive over something instead of allowing the thought to let go because sometimes we get attached to it and that becomes part of our identity right mm-hmm. I am this terrible thought it's like no you're not dude you love a unicycle get out of here like you know mm-hmm. like there's other things <laughs> that you can do like this one thing doesn't have to define you that's true it doesn't have to I just mm-hmm. I want to feel people I want people to feel empowered that you can literally f- you can be whatever the hell you want to be you can you be can. a shitty terrible person and then tomorrow decide to be better and. That's what it is. Meet yourself where you're
1: at. Nothing is permanent. And that is a a positive and a negative. Yeah. Nothing is permanent. That's fact. Well, thank you so much, Beans. Uh, This has been another uh, terrible story to enjoy your coffees to. Thank you, John, for the suggestion and the nightmares. Uh, Join us next Monday for another episode of
0: Morning
1: Morning Monday. Thank you for listening to Morning Murders. Remember to stop by every Monday for a new episode. And you can
2: always check out our resources and mental health links in our show notes. If you enjoyed listening to our highly caffeinated conversation, please leave us a five-star rating and check us out on Instagram. At Morning Murders. That's at M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-M-U-R-D-E-R-S.
0: If you have any stories you'd like to hear discussed around the breakfast nook, email us at morningmurders at gmail.com. Thank Thank you you for
2: listening. Oh god, did I get it? I got it. Richard Schmamarish.
0: Oh, wait, what's that? Oh, it's
2: a cat claw. So. Okay, so they we have what Co- they need. You guys are right here. No, <laughs> I need
0: you. I reached over and you weren't there, so <laughs> oh, no, sorry.
2: I don't I'm have everything here. I need. I'm in. Give us your sweet can. There's I'm fans there. down here.
0: I'm gonna read off my phone oh, today. I'm gonna... Turn my ringer off. scoot this in. Oh, yeah,
2: I'm going to make my I'm phone gonna make do disturb right, me, it. bitches. Dear phone, do a shush. Personal.
0: Okay, I what does don't that hear mean? Music, so for now, did I'm you know what did this? this down. Uh, you don't have an iPhone. What that you mean? can that Because you can do do not disturb. Mm-hmm. Then there's sleep. Which like it'll do not disturb for a certain amount of time. What's this though? Like personal and work, so you could be like, oh yes, yeah, so you uh, can have like and put in your you own can hours. you be like, oh, maybe. I always work. Like don't, yeah, I don't do not disturb me from Monday through Friday. That's pretty cool. or whatever. Yeah, so, you like, can like super no, personal. Please disturb them, me while I work.
2: Please? please, I do better when
0: I multitask. I do. Oh, same. <laughs> same. Same. I, wear it. I do. I do though. I do.
1: Okay, Breno was first.
0: Does he have a hard out today?
2: No. Okay. I don't have a hard out, but I sure do have a hard life. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I was wondering where you were going to go with it. it gonna She's not going to go. A hard on. on, yeah. I, I, was, like, I, I was like, she was won't do you that. You that. way. Yeah, but I knew it was I knew was leading it you guys I in that knew. direction too. But the warm up will have movements. Movement warm ups. Movements. More like hard on. We already did that. <laughs> <laughs> You can put that wherever you want it. Or wherever where you want, want it. Where oh, you my God. It. I kind of want it. Just, like, in a random it. spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's more a like hard one. At the very end. <laughs> yeah, more like, Nicolash, 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 Nicholas, Nicholas,
1: Nicholas, Nicolash, Nicholas Licorice, Nicholas Cage, Nicholas, Nicholas Nicole, Nicole, oh no, oh Brenna, stop it. Brenna, 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 Brenna,
0: Brenna,
1: Brenna, 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 Buena staphon. Buena My Ama... name
2: is Bueno <laughs> and I'm in snatch and also lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. <laughs> it is.
1: What do you think, Amanda? Amanda, Amanda, Amanda,
2: Amanda, 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 Amanda. Amanda I punch horses, pilgrim. My name's Amanda <laughs> Why would you punch horses? Because they know, punched her first. You know, sometimes they
0: got really punchable faces. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know. It punched
2: her first. Oh, yeah. well. Also. Was, I guess it was that. <laughs> yeah. You got to be careful about the horses punching you. Horses punching you. But do not punch them back. Did you know back in the day they'd trip them with wires and movies to make them fall over? Aww, it's very bad, but they don't. They try not to do that anymore. That's good. That's but that's standard. back in the day. Yeah, they used to. Some horses they train to like fall now, uh-huh. and but still falling. That's it's so like insane. us falling. Falling is with style.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Man, I love. A man. All right, we're done.
1: Man, <laughs> I love. Oh no. Manda. Oh dear. Mend, Toronto's Birchmount collegiate, uh, Collegent, mm, yeah. collegiate. Oh, I I wrote out K-U-H-L-E-E-J-I-T. collegiate. I even still said it wrong. Strategic. Okay. There was a home just... I rewrote that. I did what you did the other day. There was a home, I just literally just said this. Uh, they started tracking him. Um, so the woman who... Okay. So the police started... Began to track... And shibbles. Uh
0: wait hold on one second. I take a sip. This ice is coming. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. For each charging free nope.